This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello, this is the Red Box Politics Podcast. I'm Matt Cholly, bringing you the best of my Times radio show, Monday to Thursday, 10 to 1. Don't forget you can listen on DAB, on Smart Speaker, on the Times radio app, uh, or on times.radio, so you've got no excuse at all. Let's be honest, there's quite a lot of grim news around, uh, coronavirus-wise, and we'll talk about that another time, but you've probably heard quite enough about that. The other big political event of the day was Keir Starmer uh, drawing to an end Labour's virtual party conference. How was it for you? I'm sure you were you were gripped to absolutely all of it. He headed all the way to Doncaster to make his speech, only to find that he couldn't have an audience there. But did he do enough to change the tide of history? In the past 50 years, eight new Labour leaders have made their debut in front of the party faithful. From James Callaghan to Jeremy Corbyn, they've promised new leadership, a break with the past and vowed to win. It is indeed an honour to stand before you today as leader of our party. This Labour movement has the responsibility. Now let it prove that it has the maturity to lead our country and our party to a new future. I don't want to fight anybody in our own party. I repeat to all of them, as I've said before this conference and as I say after this, I want them all to stay in our ranks to help us. You start with far-fetched resolutions. They're then pickled into a rigid dogma called, and you go through the years sticking to that, outdated, misplaced, irrelevant to the real needs, and you end in the grotesque chaos of a Labour Council, a Labour Council hiring taxis to scuttle around the city, handing out redundancy notices to its own workers. We are rededicating ourselves to the service of British people. And I know that by doing that, we can be certain that the very best years for Labour and for Britain still lie ahead. Some of you I hear support me simply because you think I could win. <laughs> Actually, that's not a bad reason for supporting me. I just like <laughs> But it's not enough. I want more. We are not going to win despite our beliefs. We will only win 
because of our beliefs. I will not let you down. I will stand up for our schools and hospitals. I will stand up for British values. I will stand up for a strong Britain. And I will always stand up for you. A new generation has taken charge of Labour. Optimistic about our country. Optimistic about our world. Optimistic about the power of politics. We are the optimists. And together, we will change Britain. And, strong message here. Young people and older people are fizzing with ideas. Let's give them the space for that fizz to explode into the joy we want of a better society. So there you have it. James Callaghan, uh, Michael Foote, Neil Kinnock, John Smith, Tony Blair, Gordon Brown, Ed Miliband, Jeremy Corbyn. Only one of them actually managed to deliver victory in a general election. Three, in fact, Tony Blair. So today, Keir Starmer becomes number nine in that list, setting out his dream of a Labour government. So how did he do? Uh, well, in our big thing right now, we're going to unpack the speech for clues as to whether or not he's got what it takes to buck the historical trend. I'm delighted to be joined by people who know how difficult a job it is. First up, James Schneider, former press secretary to Jeremy Corbyn. Morning, James. Good morning. Hi. Uh, nice to have you with us. Miata Fambula, a former advisor to Ed Miliband. Morning. Good morning. And uh, Patrick Maguire, uh, Times Red Box reporter and co-author of Left Out, the inside story of Labour under Corbyn. Morning. Good morning. So, first of all, just first impressions before we and we'll listen to some of the clips from uh, uh, Keir Starmer in a sec. But just over we overall first impressions of of how he did, uh, allowing for the fact he did it in a room on his own uh, due to COVID uh, restrictions. Let's start with you, James. So it, it's not easy to give a conference speech at all, and all leaders get better, I think, as as they go on. So I think he should be given uh, a, a bit of slack, you know, not having the applause, not having the uh, the, the cheering lines, and it, that made it feel slightly flat. But if I'm a bit disappointed about anything in Keir's speech, I think it's that he didn't take the opportunity really to to push the national conversation on. I mean, m much of what he said, Boris Johnson could probably say. And that's kind of because in the last five years, Labour has driven forward the debate on austerity and inequality and climate change. And uh, I'd like to see Keir showing some, some of that new leadership and breaking new ground and, and telling us a bit more. He had this nice line about um, the at the next election, Labour's manifesto and campaign will be the sound of what the future arriving is. And I would like to hear a little bit more of that. OK, that's sort of a, a mixed uh, review from uh, James Schneider. Miata, um, what did you make of it? Yeah, so look, I thought it was a confident performance. I thought he started to sketch out an optimistic vision. Um, I think the key thing is that he looked like a grown-up. Uh, he looked like a competent leader, which I think at this moment in time is quite a powerful uh, counterpoint to Boris Johnson. Um, I agree with James that it was light on content, light on kind of policy trajectory, if you like. But, you know, he did put down some markers, which I'm hopeful about, you know, universal basic services. He talked about social care. He talked about wages and good jobs, inequality, climate change. Um, and I, those are the right areas uh, for him to be kind of putting a flag in. Um, and hopefully, you know, they're the basis by which they start developing an ambitious and radical policy prospectus. 
Uh, finally then, Patrick, you can be uh, slightly more uh, impartial uh, being a journalist rather than a, a full advisor. Maybe you did. Maybe you did once advise Michael Foote or something. Um, uh, what did you make of it? I mean, he went to Doncaster to do it, but then obviously couldn't have anyone from Doncaster to listen to the speech. Do you think it would have hit home in those seats that Labour really do need to try and make up some grounding? Well, well, look, I mean, one of the most surprising revelations in that speech was that Keir Starmer goes to the St Ledger Classic, which, having been myself um, to that racing meeting, is not really a Keir Starmer sort of vibe. But anyway, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I mean it's, it's, it's hard to tell um, whether this message, which is essentially, I'm not Jeremy Corbyn, um, which has been the defining message of the first six months of Starmer's leadership and will continue to be it for the next six on the basis of that. Because as James um, said, he's not really taking the opportunity to seize the moment to say, you know, at this point we radically re remake the British state and the economy. Uh, everything is up to grab, up for grabs because of the pandemic. You're not getting that. Um, but will it resonate? Well, I mean, <laughs> look, Jeremy Corbyn did have a pitch to, you know, Jeremy Corbyn didn't, fail because he didn't have a pitch to places like Doncaster. He failed in spite of his pitch to places like Doncaster, which was, you know, don't lean into, essentially, um, and James will say if I'm mischaracterising this, but, you know, it was don't lean into these culture wars, try and unite people around a sort of economic programme. And what you're getting from Keir Starmer is, I'm not Jeremy Corbyn, but what is he, where is the positive message? I think that's the, that's going to be a common criticism of that, is that at some point Keir Starmer is going to have to articulate something that isn't just I'm not Jeremy Corbyn, or even I'm not Ed Miliband, or indeed I am like Tony Blair or Wilson or Atley. <laughs> yeah, an actual winner. OK, but let's take a listen to some of what he had to say. This is, this is him talking about, and we heard this a lot, about um, how Labour is under new leadership. When you lose an election in a democracy, you deserve to. You don't look at the electorate and ask them, what were you thinking? You look at yourself and ask, what were we doing? The Labour Party has lost four general elections in a row. We've granted the Tories a decade of power. The Tories have had as many election winners in five years as we've had in 75. It's a betrayal of what we believe in to let this go on. It's time to get serious about winning. That means we have to change, and that's what we're doing. This is a party under new leadership. So this is a party under new leadership. It's something he said quite a lot. Uh, James Schneider, given that he's obviously he's quite clearly trying to show, uh, I'm not Jeremy Corbyn, drawing a line under that. Was there anything in the speech which you thought that Jeremy Corbyn would have disagreed with? If you like what you're hearing, you can listen to the whole of my Times Radio show. Either listen back on the Times Radio app, or you can listen live Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. We'll have more on the episode after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Um, I think that, I mean... Uh, Part of my slight disappointment with the speech is I, I think there was there, there was very it was pitched in a way that there's very little that that anybody could disagree with, which means there's very little that anybody could agree with very strongly that it didn't come across as um, as particularly heartfelt. I mean, I, I think saying that the party has new leadership is uh, is the right and sensible thing to do. I mean, every single leader, every new leader of every party in history. I must admit, when, um, when, when putting together that montage at the beginning, they all say, it's a new party, it's new leadership, onwards to victory. And that doesn't, you know, just saying that doesn't guarantee you're going to end up in number 10, does it? No, I, I think, and, and so... Uh, oh, we've... Uh, it's slack because it's his first it's his first speech um and and things things will improve but i think at times it was it was slightly sort of knitting together things that um that, that are already known rather than saying something new that people say all oh, right now i know what keir starmer is about miata when you were working for um ed Miliband, how important is it to sort of um make that first impression really count the the at what point is it in the, the Keir Starmer's team will tell us, well, you know, it's the extraordinary times, the pandemic, we need to sit tight, you know, we're not just going to make a tax a tax. At what point does Keir Starmer need to do something that makes the country go, oh, blimey, and sit up and take notice? Well, you know, I think because we are in such unprecedented times, it's sooner rather than later. You know, and understand, I understand the, you know, the electoral and political tactics that says, you know, just focus on competence, look like a grown up, say sensible things, and then, you know, basically leave the other side to lose this. But, but you know, we are in, you know, unprecedented times. We are in defining times. And actually, I think there's a real opportunity for Keir to step in and say, out of this crisis must come something and start to paint a vision that can excite people, that can actually cut across political boundaries, that will allow them to not just win the seats they have lost, but also, you know, win people that haven't thought about voting for Labour for a really, really long time. Um, and, you know, this is the time. The debate is changing. You know, the narrative about what is possible or isn't possible is changing. And, you know, he can define himself by that rather than defining himself against the people that he isn't. And at the moment, it, it feels like the political tactic is define yourself against Boris Johnson, against Jeremy Corbyn, which will take him so far. But if he wants a landslide win, which is what he's going to need to get into power, he needs to define himself against the moment that we're in. And that has yet to come. But it's still early days. Well, let's hear him then. This is uh, Keir Starmer defining himself against Boris Johnson. When he encounters a problem, Johnson responds either by wishing it away or by lashing out. He kept wishing away the problems with testing, pretending they didn't exist. He wished away the problems with the Irish border. Then, when he finally realised what he'd signed up to, 
he lashed out and decided to break international law. We're all doing our bit to combat the virus by obeying the rule of six. Meanwhile, the government won't even obey the rule of law. And this is the big difference between the Prime Minister and me. Whilst Boris Johnson was writing flippant columns about bendy bananas, I was defending victims and prosecuting terrorists. While he was being sacked by a newspaper for making up quotes, I was fighting for justice and the rule of law. Well, it was a speech um, without uh, any jokes. I think the reference to bendy bananas was the closest we got to you know, what might have possibly raised a smile. Um, Patrick Maguire um, from The Times, do you think that... Uh, I mean, that was a pretty strong attack on Boris Johnson in a way we haven't seen before. The weird thing is we'll probably see him in the House of Commons uh, later respond to Boris Johnson's speech, supporting the government and everything it does and offering his you know, consensual, constructive, uh, helpful opposition. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean... There's a degree of consistency here with the pitch Keir Starmer made to the Labour membership. Um, one is that the one person he was willing to attack throughout that, um, you know, I can probably, I won't subject listeners to the to the cruel and unusual punishment that is reciting Keir Starmer's leadership campaign stump speech. But God, it's embedded in my uh, in my consciousness <laughs> now. And he would always say, you know, Boris Johnson is dangerous. He'd make a very similar critique to that. And also, you see him doing a very similar thing to what he did in his first in all of his pitches to the Labour membership, which was he is very keenly aware that his past as a lawyer with a knighthood can be weaponised against him. And you saw in his first pitch to the Labour members, he was a warrior for the oppressed. He was, you know, an activist advocate who um, picked any um, sort of oppressed minority or cause under the sort of, um, you know, under the jackboot of the state and used the court to equalise it in the eyes of the law. Now... He's, um, you know, the chief prosecutor who never met a, never met a terrorist. He didn't want to bang up for life. Um, so, you know, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty on the nose. Um, it's certainly if, uh, you know, if any other shadow cabinet minister got up at the dispatch box and, and spoken in those terms about Boris Johnson, I'm sure there'd be a lot of tutting and very stern WhatsApps from uh, Keir Starmer's close circle of aides. Um, but you're you're beginning to see the you know the the this is the contest they want to fight at the next election, which is um, sensible, sober Keir versus the haphazard Boris Johnson, which crucially, as any good opposition line should, now dovetails with an emergent critique from Tory MPs, which is this Downing Street doesn't have a clue what it's doing. Yeah, and that was obviously his big uh, criticism on the sort of the handling of the coronavirus uh, pandemic and, and again sort of listing all the failures on whether it's schools reopening or the test and trace uh, programme. Obviously, the other big challenge the country faces is uh, Brexit. Uh, and it's been one of the big problems that the Labour Party has been uh, struggling with. This is, this is what Keir Starmer now says about Brexit. And on Brexit, let me be absolutely clear. The debate between leave and remain is over. We are not going to be a party that keeps banging on about Europe. The Prime Minister has repeatedly promised that he will get a deal. So go on and get one. So almost using David Cameron's old line about not banging on about Europe uh, there. Uh, James Schneider, he's obviously trying, actually, in much the same way that Jeremy Corbyn did, to sort of try and put Brexit in a box and never talk about it. Is that as a tactic going to work, do you think? Uh, I, I think... The right thing to do is to try to change the, the conversation, the way Brexit is presented. Moving on from leave, remain was always the right strategy for the Labour Party after 2016. It didn't stop being the right strategy um, when Keir and others were trying to make us not do that. And it's definitely the right, and it's definitely the right strategy 
uh, now. I, and I also think, you know, Keir trying to Keir talking about trust is the it, you know is the right thing and picking out these seats that we lost. But there is the elephant in the room, which is a very large part of why we lost was because we were seen quite you know we were seen as trying to overturn the result of the referendum and i think if he wants to cut through to those voters he's probably going to have to have said something about that and i think that's more of the the missed opportunity today in in the appeal directly to um the constituencies that he listed uh, at the end people to take another look i think saying and we heard you, and that was wrong that we tried to do that, would, would go a long way in rebuilding some trust. Basically, what he's trying to do is sort of glide past the fact he was the architect of a more Remain-leaning uh, Brexit policy. You know, he wanted a re- second referendum, he wanted Remain on the table uh, as an option in that referendum. Do you think he needs to be much stronger and say, I did want another referendum, I did want to vote Remain, but I was wrong and we need to move on from that? I think it would be good to have made one intervention that is a big one that people will notice to draw a line under it. And perhaps this conference speech was not the right one and it could have been done earlier or done at another time. But I think before we get into the cut and thrust of the process of uh, the end of the transition period, which we're, you know, is now going to partially dominate the rest of the year, I think it would have been good to come out and say very clearly, we're not trying to stop this. We're not trying to over, o- overturn the vote. We have learned that lesson. We're sorry about that. But now when we are engaging with um, the legislation, we are doing it for very good reasons. And they're not reasons that are trying to stop Brexit. They're reasons that are uh, in your interest, in the interest of public services and in the country. He talked a lot about uh, trust as well, and you were saying that the part of that maybe addressing it head-on is is important for trust. Let's take a listen to to, uh, some of what he had to say on that. Never again will Labour go into an election not being trusted on national security with your job, with your community and with your money. That's what being under new leadership means. That's a bit of a swipe. We heard a lot in advance about how he was going to say, and he did say that he loved his country and it was all about patriotism and trying to draw um, a distinction between himself and uh, Jeremy Corbyn. Miata, do you think that, do you think it works? Do you think people look at Jeremy, um, look at Keir Starmer and think, oh, he's a great patriot who's going to wrap himself in the flag and go down to the pub and have a pint and talk? You know, does it, does, does, does he look like the patriot that they are trying to present him as? Not really, but I don't know what the Patriot looks like, to be honest with you. Um, I I guess I understand why they're trying to do it, um, because, you know, they've done the polling um, of the kind of, you know, blue Labour voters that they need to reach to when, you know, patriotism, love the country, security, kind of big issues, and they're trying to speak to that. Um, You know, I I think in the end, um, the thing that he will have to sort of find a stride for is what's authentically care. And I think, you you know, the thing that worked for Jeremy Corbyn is that, you know, whether you liked him or not, he was authentic. And I think people respected that. Um, and I think, you know, you know, Keir is clearly someone that, you know, everyone that knows him or has worked with him will say that he's, you know, an incredibly honourable, decent, uh, values, you know, driven guy. And I think he just needs to, rather than feeling he's got to kind of 
play to some version of himself that speaks to the polls. I think he just needs to be himself. You know, I think one of the lessons from the Ed years is, you know, if, if Ed had been let to be Ed more often, uh, you know, perhaps we would have made uh, more success than actually the version of Ed that we see now, which is confident in what he thinks and who he is and isn't necessarily trying to play to the polls, is probably a more appealing version. And I hope uh, that's a lesson that kind of Keir's team uh, take, because I think, you know, the pedigree of the man will speak to itself and that's a thing that will appeal to the electorate. And then if he talks about what he can do for them and in this country and how he advances the agenda, um, I think that's, you know, that's the winning formula because he's going to be fighting an election off the back of a massive economic crisis. How on earth you get the country out of it and how enough you make you know, people's lives and livelihood better will be the defining issue. And he needs to start speaking to that. Yeah, it's interesting. You're, and this is definitely true of Ed Miliband, the way that actually the vote, the electorate's quite, even though they might not tune into politics very often, they're quite good at spotting that someone is you know calibrating too much and and you know uh, it's all a bit too calculated and inauthentic and that, uh, actually yeah just just laying out where you actually stand on stuff if, it, if you're trying to be too clever people could normally uh spot that just finally then he laid out the the scale of the challenge that um he faces as a as a labor leader in the 75 years since the historic victory of 1945 there have only been three labor winners I want to be the fourth. So he wants to be uh, the fourth. Is he, is he up to it? Can he do it? Is there a sign of life uh, in the Labour Party this time around? I just want to go around all of you um, just finally. James Schneider, former press secretary to Jeremy Corbyn. On the basis of this, do you think that Keir Starmer can do what your man didn't manage? I really hope that he can. I mean, there are there are some positive signs. I mean, I, I would sort of grade this as, you know, more work to do. But, um, you know, he did come across as, um, a, a sort of a credible and sensible, which, which I think helps. We, we just now got to add on to I'm a credible uh, manager. We need to add on some vision and concrete things about what the future would be like in a, in a Keir Starmer's Britain. Uh, marks out of 10? Uh, wouldn't like to put a number on it. Oh, go on. You're such a politician's answer. I'll, I'll say, I would say C+, plus, but it's the first time, so B-. minus. <laughs> I mean, strictly speaking, that's not a mark out of 10, but that's the difference between the old-style GCSEs and the new ones. So we'll let, we'll, we'll, we'll let you have that. Um, Mayata Fambuli, former advisor to Ed Miliband, um, what about you? Uh, what did you is, this, is this the sign of someone who could become the fourth uh, Labour Prime Minister elected? Or, um, yeah, you know, does he, has he got more to do, as James said? Uh, I think definitely. And I think, you know, it's as much about the fact that he, you know, he looks like Prime Minister, he looks competent, he looks credible. And I think at the end of this administration, that's something that the country is going to be hankering for. But also, I think it's events, you know, I think we are in turbulent times. And, you know, the, the sorts of landslides that he's going to have to pull off, I think are completely possible. You know, we've seen it happen in our politics over and over again in the last, in the recent history, Scotland being one. So it is possible. And, you know, the fallout from COVID, the fallout of the recession, all create the basis by which you can do the impossible politically. So if he sounds credible, like a, a prime minister that can run the country, but with a positive vision um, that inspires people, then he can do it. Mark out of 10 or, or letter of the alphabet, depending on your marking system? Uh, I, 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 I'm going to go for a, a B+. Plus. B+. Good plus. start. We're getting there. <laughs> OK, that's slightly more optimistic. Uh, it's good to speak to you. Get, uh, and just finally, uh, Patrick Maguire uh, from The Times. 
what do you make of this? Yeah. Having picked over the the ups and downs, shall we say, of the Corbyn uh, leadership in your book, um, were there signs here that he could? Because we should remember as well, even getting back to Jeremy Corbyn in 2017 is nowhere near what he needs to do in order to comfortably get into number 10 and implement a sort of radical programme. So, I mean, it's a huge task ahead of him. Are there signs that he's up to the job based on this speech? Well, look, if you look at the available data, um, he's certainly making inroads in terms of polling, but obviously we're, we're four years away from a general election. Look, a recent example, if you say he has a comparable mission to David Cameron to remake the party, um, Michael Howard won fewer than 200 seats in 2005 for the Tories and then David Cameron formed the next government. But I think the crucial thing about this competence framing is that it's all very well and good fighting this war against Boris Johnson. Um, I would say, you know, this is a recipe to take on a tired, jaded, recession-battered Boris Johnson in 2024 is one thing. But if, you know, he falls under or is thrown under a bus and Rishi Sunak, someone who is um, for, you know, a conventional free market Tory prepared to, or at least in the, 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 the sort of heat of the pandemic, prepared to, you know, pursue a quite, um, you know, rip up the rule book and pursue this sort of economic populism that Keir seems allergic to um, and is incredibly popular, then who knows? But maybe maybe, maybe they'll have started talking about policy by then. <laughs> and just finally, what's your mark at? We're not on your mark out of 10. What, if you were giving him a school mark, what would you give him based on this um, today? I, allowing for grade inflation... Um, uh, bees, bees weren't what they once were. I'll, I'll give him a B. A just, B. A, just a plain old B. Just a plain old B. I mean, I, he'll be pretty happy with that. So, uh, James Schneider, former press secretary to Jeremy Corbyn, gave him a B minus after under some duress. Uh, Miata Fambula, a former advisor to Ed Miliband, uh, B plus, and Patrick Maguire there from the Times uh, Red Box, uh, giving uh, Keir Starmer a B. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box podcast. Uh, you can now listen back to my whole show on the Times Radio app, where you can also now listen to all of the Times podcasts, including Red Box 2. Make sure you subscribe and review at the Red Box podcast wherever you listen. But for now, for me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.